You may be seated. مرحبا. أهلاً وسهلاً. أنا اسمي مارسيل من فلسطين. أنا من إليزابيث. أنا من كندا. Welcome. My name is Marcel, and I'm from the little town of Bethlehem in Palestine. And my name's Liz, and I'm from British Columbia, Canada. Um, we're just going to introduce our chapel today. Um, it's going to be um, a little bit about um, Palestine and Israel, so we'll just kind of introduce you to that a little bit. The tug-of-war over land in the Holy Land between Palestine and Israel has been going on for 62 years. In 1948, after the Balfour Declaration and the tragic events of the Holocaust, the State of Israel was created by UN mandate. Although the phrase, a land without people, for a people without land, is used to describe the creation of the State of Israel, it is not true. The area was populated by Palestinians once. Thus, the events of 1948 created a diaspora producing 700,000 refugees. Palestinians refer to this event as the Nakba, the catastrophe. Since then, the population of refugees has grown to 4.6 million refugees, which is the largest refugee population in the world. The land struggle is still ongoing today. Um, today we have Esther Kern from Christian Peacemaker Team. She's um, in the area for a steering committee meeting um, that's happening this weekend. Um, Esther is a former Goshen grad, and I had the privilege of meeting her this summer when I was in um, Palestine. Um, she's a nursing grad, um, and she has been working with uh, CPT for six years and is now the administrative coordinator in Canada. So we're just going to pray to kind of start chapel off. Okay. Um, dear God, I just ask you to come into this space, and um, as we listen to what Esther has to say, um, Lord, just open our hearts to um, what she's saying. Help us to be affected um, by your message of peace, Lord God, um, and just, just be here as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Micah 6, 6 through 8, the New International Version. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I invite Esther to come forward. Good morning. What a pleasure it is to be here with you today. As I walked in the south entrance, one of the first things that caught my eye was the verse above the door, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. I felt right at home. It feels like only yesterday that I was among you in these very pews. And the memories come flooding back but it has actually been 43 years ago since I sat here in my old order Amish dress and my head covering 
enrolled as a full-time student in the nursing program. It was a time when I started my journey of enlightenment, I call it, moving beyond the suffocating restrictions and ordinances of the Amish Church and learning what it really means to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ under the tutelage of professors like J.C. Wangard and Norman Krauss. My liberation began, my spiritual formation began in earnest as I learned that there are many other people and many other cultures living under God's tent of nations. And I invite you this morning to join me on the path of gospel justice and peacemaking according to the question that was posed by Isaiah in Micah 6, 6-8, which was just read. What does the Lord require of me, of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, mercy, and walk humbly with God. That question and the answer confronted me head-on during my experience at Goshen College because it was during that time that we experienced the assassination of President John Kennedy during our afternoon chemistry lab. The Palm Sunday tornadoes which roared through Elkhart County leaving a path of destruction, after which the dormitories were open to shelter the homeless and to provide medical first aid. And of course, that followed with an all-day closure of Goshen College so that the entire student body could go out into the community and help with the cleanup initiatives. I remember traveling to Mississippi during Easter break to help rebuild a bomb church located in the heart of the civil rights movement. Then of course, there was the Vietnam War, flower power, the Beatles, the turbulence on university campuses, violence, and many voices crying out for justice and peace. There were war resistors at the time who fled to Canada by the thousands as draft dodgers and deserters from the military, including students from Goshen College, one of whom, David, was denied conscientious objector status because he was not from a historic peace church. He ended up in the Marine Corps where every day he met the real enemy within himself. He battled with his conscience to the point where he knew he could no longer live with himself, knowing that he would have to kill another human being. He deserted the Marine Corps, and on April the 18th, 1969, he fled to Canada, where he applied for and received landed, landed immigrant status. And that is how I got to Canada, because David is my husband, and I supported him in, his, in the decision that he made to give up, give up everything in order to be true to his conscience. David and I are still both active war resistors, and we have helped to support dozens of U.S. Iraqi war resistors who have come to London and Toronto just in the past few years. It was seven years ago that I took an early retirement from my chosen career of nursing after having worked for 34 years, and it was a year after that in 2004 that I joined Christian Peacemaker Teams. As you may or may not know, 
CPT is a faith-based organization arising from a call in 1984 directed to Christians attending the Mennonite World Conference in Strasbourg, France, by theologian Ron Sider, challenging all Christians to devote the same discipline to nonviolent peacemaking that armies devote to making war. In other words, to transform lethal conflict through the nonviolent power of God's love and truth. My experience in CPT has taken me to Colombia, where civil war has been raging for over 50 years, with many people being displaced and assassinated for political purposes. I have worked along the U.S.-Mexico borderlands to patrol the Sonora Desert for migrants at risk and to advocate for USA immigration policy reform, while at the same time documenting abuses from the Border Patrol officers. I have worked with the Aboriginal communities in Ontario, the Anishinaabek in Grassy Narrows, whose treaty rights are not being respected by our Canadian government. Their traditional land has been clear-cut, their water poisoned with mercury, and they continue to suffer the legacy of the residential schools, which were designed to assimilate and destroy First Nations culture. We have stood in solidarity with the Algonquins in Ardoch as they resisted the exploration for an open-pit uranium mine on their unceded land. Last summer, we joined the Beausoleil First Nations in opposing the construction of a 75-acre landfill over an aquifer which held the world's purest water. CPT work has taken me to the streets of our nation's capital, Ottawa, to your state capital, Indianapolis, and to your national capital, Washington, D.C., to the streets of Toronto during the G20 meetings this past June, and to the School of America, Americas at Fort Benning with the Goshen College Peace Club several years ago. The only current project that I have not worked on yet is Iraq. And I might add that in the past, CPT has worked in Bosnia, Haiti, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Chiapas, Mexico, and with the Lakotas in South Dakota, and a number of other smaller places here and there. The place which is the dearest to my heart, though, is Palestine. And my heart was warmed this morning to hear Liz and Marcel talk about their experience and giving a bit of the history. This is where I have served on team three times in the last three years, in the West City Bank of Hebron. This is where the words of Micah 6-8 resonate most clearly as I work under God's tent of all nations, in which there is no east or west or north or south, the words of Isaiah have taken me into the homes of Palestinian Christians and Muslims and into the arena with Israeli Jews, soldiers, and settlers. This is Israel, the so-called Holy Land, the birthplace of the world's three greatest religions of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, a land which is torn apart by ideology and violence. This is where Zionism and the belief that God has promised this land to the Jews has taken root, leading to the war of 1948, 
after which the state of Israel was created, giving Jews a place to return to and to call their own. However, this is also what the Palestinians, as Marcel mentioned earlier, call the Nakba, or the catastrophe. For it was during this time that 750,000 Palestinians were forcefully driven out of 517 villages and into refugee camps, which still exist today. I visited several, like the Dehesha in Bethlehem and the Al-Arub camp near Bet Umar, which is located near Hebron. Tens of thousands of Palestinians are waiting for a return to their former villages, and many still had their keys to their homes, even while knowing that their homes no longer exist. And I brought with me a, one of the keys that belonged to one of these Palestinian homes as a reminder for me to continue my work as an advocate and an ally for their return to their homes. During the War of 1967, the Israeli army attacked and occupied the West Bank, which had been designated as Palestinian land after the formation of Israel. And in quick succession, Israel started building settlements in the West Bank, illegal under international law, and in the process, confiscating more and more Palestinian land in the process. Those settlements now number 500. And add to that the six to 700 meter long security wall which separates Israel from the West Bank. Those are the obstacles to achieving peace and reconciliation between the two cultures. But perhaps there's a glimmer of hope with the beginning of the peace process between Mr. Netanyahu and Mr. Abbas, which began in Washington, D.C. initially some time ago. To witness the demolition of Palestinian homes is absolutely devastating. First and foremost to the family living there and to any other observer like myself, Adha Jabber with his wife and three children live in the Becca Valley just outside of Hebron, an area of fertile agricultural land. Their family home has been demolished twice and large tracts of his land have been confiscated in order to construct Israeli-only roads and a large service station, a system of apartheid separating one culture from another. Three years ago, I witnessed this demolition of two homes of Addis' neighbor. This home was demolished by a piece of equipment called the Stinger. I timed it, and in eight minutes flat, it left nothing but dust and rubble, while a large group of Israeli soldiers guarded the perimeter. The entire community was watching, the women weeping hysterically and praying to Allah, while the children fearfully huddled behind their mother's skirts. What effect do you think this has on the psyche of these children? I can tell you, after Atta's home was demolished, his young daughter tried to commit suicide. She was only eight years old. Once by setting fire to herself, and another time she tried to hang herself from a tree. After this event, I asked Atta, how can we best support you? And he sat on the rubble and he said, take my photograph, show it to everyone you know, 
and tell them my story. And I have just kept my promise. Gandhi is an 11-year-old boy who sat, spat at a settler who was with a group of Israelis touring the market of the old city of Hebron. For that, he was taken into an abandoned building by six soldiers and beaten about the head and shoulders using an assault rifle. Later, Gandhi told us that he was just returning the spit, referring to an incident two weeks before when two settlers had spat in the faces of two Palestinian shopkeepers. This should have come earlier. This is a mural from one of the refugee camps, the Al Arub, in, uh, close, located close to Bet Umar. And the infamous security wall, which is being built at a cost of several billion dollars, which is heavily funded by the United States. And it also serves as a wonderful and amazing outdoor easel with all kinds of political messages and slogans. I especially love this one because it says, love one another, and it's located right outside of the WIAM Center, the Palestinian Reconciliation uh, Center, which is managed by Zubi Zubi, Marcel's father. And it was such a pleasure and such an honor to be there this past June. Sorry about this, it seemed to be going in the wrong direction. Oh, here we go. Another example of apartheid, Shuhada Street is a main thoroughfare which goes through Hebron. A number of Palestinian homes front on Shuhada Street and their doors have been welded shut and they can no longer enter their homes through the front door. This is the front door of our bread man, and the only way he can get into his home is by having his daughter tossed down a rope, and he goes up the side of the wall and onto the roof in order to get into his own house. One uh, Sunday morning, as we came out of the CPT apartment, we were surprised to discover a group of soldiers outside our door, waiting to escort us out of the area. Why? Because another group of soldiers was raiding the offices of the municipal headquarters of the police who were responsible for the old city, which is under occupation. They were searching for banned weapons, but found nothing. They sealed the doors to the building regardless, keeping the police locked out indefinitely. And on the screen, you see the chief of police who told us this story after we had witnessed the soldiers doing the raid. And with him is Fatia. She's a Palestinian, and she's also a Muslim, the first Muslim who has joined Christian peacemaker teams. Our CPT home is not immune from these kinds of incursions. And uh, Paulette, one of our CPTers, normally goes up to the roof every night to pray. One night she went up and she found eight soldiers hunkered down for the night. Without missing a beat, she just looked at them and said, oh, did you come up here to pray with me? Sheepishly, they got up and said, oh, we were just leaving, and they left. One day we came to the Katoon checkpoint where we do school patrols, and we discovered that there were additional military vehicles there, and the children were at the Iron Gate, 
and they were holding up posters and they were chanting slogans commemorating the 62nd anniversary of the Nakba, when Palestinian families were forced to become refugees in their own land. That day, rather than doing the usual school patrol, we monitored, documented, and photographed the event. Although it was really quite tense and the soldiers kept pushing the children back, under the scrutiny of the internationals who were there, there was no violence. And this is one of the children with Nakba written across her forehead. I remember also the day when I went to Jerusalem to stand with the women in black. There are a group of Jews, Muslims, and Christians and international activists doing a public witness opposing the occupation. As I approached the group, a Jewish man came up to me and he took one look at my CPT hat and he said very tersely, you are a Christian, you. You come here and you hold the flag of Islam. Go to bleep. Use your imagination and fill in the blanks and you're probably right. Then there was the attack on the flotilla of ships to Gaza. The tension in the old city was so tense, one could have sliced it. Sorry, I was a little delayed in that one. Everyone is waiting for the big one to happen. And let me tell you about El Bueri. That's another village in which we go to do school patrols. It's a village located outside of another settlement where the residents of El Bueri are constantly harassed and intimidated and attacked, especially the school children. This is the gate to prohibit vehicles from entering into the area. Also, the earth mounds that prevent any vehicles from going in, the razor wire which separates the village from the settlement. And here is the peace tree. The settlers used to hide under this tree and jump out and attack the school children as they walked by. But the good news is that CPTers have now occupied this tree. And from being a tree of fear, it has become a peace tree and a safe refuge for the children. There has been a price to pay, though. About two months ago, two of our CPTers were beaten by settlers, and they literally had to run for their lives. And about two weeks later, two International Solidarity Movement members were also attacked there. One was hospitalized with a broken nose, which required surgery. On a regular basis, the settlers come over to Albuere, they destroy the crops by burning or uprooting or slashing the grapevines. They kill the sheep. They damage the water tanks and steal property and literally terrify the, in, the uh, inhabitants. Incidentally, this is, the, oh, this is one of the uh, women and her, her uh, granddaughter. We patrol and visit the families in this village on a fairly regular basis, but we don't follow a predictable pattern so that the settlers are not able to always uh, predict and, and monitor our presence in the village. It's an incredibly beautiful valley, very fertile valley. I might add that this is where I had my first taste of cooked sheep intestines, which is considered a delicacy but I do digress a bit here. The last week I was in uh, Palestine, the, uh, there were three border police 
who were shot by Palestinian men near a checkpoint. One was killed instantly and the other two were critically injured. Fear shrouded the area as the Palestinians braced themselves for the expected reprisals. There's constantly this tension that is brewing and simmering just below the surface and one little spark could set off a momentum that could not be contained, a momentum of violence. I talked to a Palestinian Christian who returned from Bethlehem just uh, about three days ago, and he told me that everybody is talking about something big is going to happen, and they're telling everybody to be sure to carry their passports at all times and be prepared to leave very, very quickly. They fully expect that there will be another war before the end of this, this year. This is, uh, we received a phone call from this village where settlers had come in and destroyed all their crops, had uprooted squash plants and slashed their irrigation pipes, did about $10,000 worth of damage there. And again, these were settlers from a nearby settlement who had also at one time spread poison on the farms. The sheep were poisoned, the milk was poisoned, the children consequently suffered from drinking the poisoned milk and had to be hospitalized. And one day, very boldly, five women from this settlement with 20 of their children, some babies in arms and some toddlers and strollers, came to the front door of the Palestinian homes, prepared to just walk in and occupy the homes. But when they met a solid wall of resistance, they just stood there and prayed and eventually went away. And there's Susia. A village which has been completely destroyed twice, but like the phoenix rising up out of the ashes, they use the, the um, what's left over from demolitions to build new facilities and use everything and anything that they can get their hands on. And uh, they live in tents like this. I slept there one night in an open tent under a full moon and star-studded sky. Lots of barking dogs, braying donkeys, crowing roosters. I call it the lullaby of the night. But even with the, oh, and they also very creative. They have their little solar panel and their little windmill there. They generate enough energy to power one light bulb and to run one computer, one laptop computer. But in spite of the depressing realities of the Israeli occupation of the West Bank, Susia is an example of resilience and resourcefulness and hope for the Palestinians. But there's another place which has an even greater inspiration for me and a greater sense of hope, and that is the Tent of Nations. This is a parcel of land which is about 100 acres. It's located on a hilltop 950 feet above sea level and nine kilometers from Bethlehem. The view of the surrounding area is absolutely spectacular. And in the front at the entrance, they have this verse about being a city on a hill taken from Matthew 5, 14 to 16. The farm was pushed, purchased in 1916 by Daher Nasser, a Palestinian Christian. 
And since then, the Nasser family and the descendants have worked on the land by day and slept in the caves by night and have produced crops of olives, grapes, and vineyards, and so on. When the original Mr. Nasser died, his family carried on the vision of continuing to farm and maintain the land. However, in 1991, the Israeli government declared the whole area as Israeli state property. They have all their original legal ownership papers from the Ottoman period, and they have worked the land since then, but it doesn't matter. They are still being asked to give up the land forcefully. They continue to spend exorbitant amounts of money, And most recently, this past May the 27th, they received nine demolition orders which included their animal shelters and even the outdoor toilets. They have appealed the order and the case has gone all the way to the Supreme Court of Israel, a move which will cost the family $15,000, which they don't have. How would you respond if this happened to you? As Christians, the Nasser family have responded by declaring the farm to be a tent of nations, a gathering place for people from all cultures, nations, and religions to come together to build bridges of understanding for reconciliation and for peace. And to achieve this goal, they have developed a number of programs. This is the entryway. Some of the programs they have developed is, first of all, a reconciliation programs, which brings international and local groups together, a tree planting program, which also brings international and local folks together to plant trees as a symbol of hope and solidarity. For example, several years ago, nearby settlers uprooted 350 olive trees, and a group from Europe on hearing about this a group called Jews for Peace came to the farm and replanted 350 trees. There's an international youth exchange program, a work and study program, vocation training program, and they have quite a few future plans as well. Just strolling through the grounds of the Tent of Nations is very inspiring. One of the uh, caves which we visited has been converted into an underground chapel where ecumenical services are held each Sunday. Just by entering into that space, you feel as though you're walking on holy ground. And in fact, I confess that I was not really moved by the traditional holy sites. They were too commercialized. Instead, it was places like this, the people I met, which became the holy times and the holy places. This is where I met the God of the Bible, the places where Jesus walked. This is the cave in which the people lived and left a historical, historical paintings depicting the lives of the families and the activities that they were involved in. But as I worked and lived in this area, I really felt that we were encountering the God of the Bible. As we read the stories of the Old and New Testaments and learn from the teachings of Jesus, 
We hear themes of faithfulness which go far beyond protocol and expectations. We encounter a God who acts through obedient communities like the Tent of Nations to build shalom, peace, and wholeness. We learn about communities who embrace God's vision of peace and reach to, out to people outside the boundaries. And we, in turn, learn how to respond to people outside of our boundaries, right here and right now. We respond to the refugees, illegal immigrants, the homeless, poor, and marginalized who receive their daily bread at the window on Goshen's main street, the homosexual, the U.S.-Iraqi war resistors who flee to Canada for refuge and perceived enemies from other religions and cultures. This tent of nations near Bethlehem is such a community with one exception. I believe that calling it formally God's tent of nations would be a more accurate description. And I want to believe that here at Goshen College, that description would also apply. Does it? What is your barometer of willingness to engage in Jesus' call to radical peacemaking? Are you prepared to say, here I am, Lord, send me? Are you prepared to go to the Christian Peacemaker Peace Congress, which is being planned for 2011? Are you prepared to become involved and sign on the dotted line to support and endorse the BDS campaign against an, an apartheid state? Are you willing and ready to join us in Christian Peacemaker Teens? We would welcome you. Are you ready to endorse the Canadian boat to Gaza, which we are also endorsing? And hopefully we will have some CPTers on the boat. Hinka Lowen Rutgers is a young woman who did say, here I am, Lord. She's a young Canadian woman who is now working in Israel under the sponsorship of Mennonite Church Canada's Witness Council. In her last report to our churches, she summarizes the situation in this part of the Middle East more eloquently than I could, and I will give her the last word, paraphrasing a bit. This conflict will never be solved by deciding who has claimed to land or who was actually blessed by God to kill the other. Perhaps we could focus on simply realizing that as Christians, we are required to stand by our brothers and sisters, no matter whether they are of Christian, Jewish, or Arab, Arab heritage. We can simply pray that we might rise above racism and the desire for revenge that all in this land might be unified in their common love for God and live in peace under God's tent of nations, coming together to live out justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. That is hope rising in Bethlehem. We just want to thank Esther so much for speaking today. Um, so let's pray. Um, dear God, as we come before you today, um, just help these things to just sit in our hearts, God, and just that we're convicted of these things that are happening in the world, God. I, I just believe that you don't bring these things into the world um, and make us powerless um, to do anything about them, but we have power, God. Um, just help us to use it and, and just um, see how, like, 
you are working in this world, God, that we can just come alongside you, Lord God, and um, just be involved in this love letter that you are writing to the world, God. Just use us as an instrument of peace um, and just give us that conviction um, and knowledge that we can make a difference and we can do something about it. Amen. Um, we're going to sing one more song, and then we're going to have a little bit of information about BDS, so don't leave yet. There's just a little bit more to go. Turn to, wow, 395 in your blue hymnals, please.
Hi, my name is Phil Shank and I'm a senior accounting major and uh, would like to introduce a way that we as Goshen College students can respond to the injustices incurring in Palestine. I would like for Goshen College to join a growing number of other institutions which have pulled endowment money out of investments in corporations which perpetuate injustice and violence in Palestine. Whether it is through supporting development in illegal settlements or by providing materials in the construction of the security wall, numerous corporations directly and indirectly support the oppression of Palestinians. This year within PACS Club has formed a group known as the Divestment Circle. We are advocating for a withdrawal of endowment funds held in the stock of such corporations. I joined this group because I felt like this is one way that I as a North American can act for peace and justice in that region. Goshen College's endowment fund is pooled together with funds from a number of Mennonite institutions and invested as one group. Corporations are not invested in if they don't support traditional Anabaptist values. For example, funds would not be uh, invested in weapons companies or companies that produce and sell tobacco or alcohol. However, there is no screen against companies which, act, which are actively involved in the oppression of Palestinians. Following chapel, there will be an opportunity for you to sign your name in support of putting in place a criteria against investing in companies that support the occupation of Palestine. This will be happening just out in the lobby. Please consider writing down your name. By doing so, you will be supporting a broader movement that is placing pressure on the forces behind this conflict. Also following chapel, uh, CPT has a number of materials in the lobby that you are free to take. This includes a DVD, which students are free to have with a donation of any amount. Thank you and you are dismissed.